If you've got your Bibles this morning, I hope that you do. Would you please take them, turn with us once again to the book of John and to chapter 18 as we continue in our series that we began together a few weeks ago. Uh, we are looking to the cross and to the empty tomb. As a body of believers, we are preparing ourselves in order that we might be able to celebrate Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of our Savior, fully informed and spiritually ready to be able to celebrate that victory that we see occurs there in, in the garden when Jesus is resurrected, but the victory that occurs in our own lives as a result of that resurrection. And this morning, we come to the passage in which John details for us the trial that Jesus endured under the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Now, the Gospels don't tell us a whole lot about Pilate. Not a lot of information is given to us about him, but extra-biblical information exists that kind of informs us with regard to uh, Pilate and really a lot of what the relationship that he had with the Jews over whom he was appointed governor. Uh, it was a very rocky relationship. Pilate had on a number of occasions demonstrated his propensity for violence in squelching some uprisings that occurred uh, and in, inside the, the area of Judea. Uh, but at times he could not only be violent, but he could sort of be uh, one who would cow down to the Jews to some degree. He would, he would uh, give himself over to their desires at various points because he feared the backlash that would come from an uprising if he were to be called before Caesar. And so we can, we can probably say this fairly accurately, that Pilate was, was simultaneously both a violent and a wishy-washy kind of man. And that sort of understanding there really should inform us, particularly as we come to John's gospel and we, we begin to read what John tells us. It was interesting in my study... Uh, I just started writing down and making notes as I was reading through this passage. And, and, and interestingly enough, it's the way that from the New King James that I'm going to be reading from you from, notice when I walk through there, Pilate asked 11 questions. 11 questions coming from this governor. He asked them both of Jews and, and of Jesus. 11 questions. And not only did he ask all these questions, but you'll notice that as we look there, I want you to make note as, you, as I read, how many times Pilate goes in and out from the praetorium where he lived out to the colonnade where the Jews had gathered. In and out, it's just like my kids on any given afternoon. They are in and out. In and out, doors always opening and closing in the house. Aggravates me to no end. But nevertheless, that's a confession for another time. Nevertheless, here's, here's Pilate. He's in and out of his own house. And, and it happens over and over and over again. And he's asking all these questions. What that presents for us is a man who is utterly confused and anxious and, and he's got all kinds of angst going on inside of him. He's like a man who's caged but a cat on a hot tin roof at the same time. And why is that the case? Well, because Jesus has been dropped into his lap. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, when Jesus gets dropped into your lap and you're confronted with him, You've got to decide what you're going to do with him. And Pilate, in our text this morning, is trying to decide, what am I going to do with Jesus? The question that we want to ask is, what does Pilate do with Jesus? Well, let me go ahead and say this. You also need to be asking yourself, what am I going to do with Jesus? Well, this is how we're going to begin. We're going to start with verse 28 of John chapter 18, and we're going to read down through verse 16. 
of John chapter 19. It's an extended passage, but, but stay engaged with the text. Notice the movement that goes on. Notice the questions that are constantly asked and listen to the interchange that occurs. The Bible says this, then they, that is the Jews, led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, would, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, Well, then you take him and judge him according to your law. And therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered of the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered and said, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not, a, not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. 
And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, put in Hebrew, but in Hebrew is Gabbatha. And now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he, that is Pilate, delivered him, that is Jesus, to them, that is the soldiers, to be crucified. And then they took Jesus and they led him away. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for what you endured on our behalf and for our benefit. And I pray this morning as we open this word that your Holy Spirit is offered we would hear from you, the one and only true God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as I'm prone to do, I'm just going to give you some hooks this morning to hang your thoughts on as we work our way through. There's nothing special about them at all. They're just little markers to help us as we work our way through this text, just to see the flow of things from the beginning all the way to the end. And the first one that I want you to see this morning is simply this. It's the Jews' accusation concerning Jesus. The Jews' accusation concerning Jesus. But before we even get to the accusation, I want you to notice the hypocrisy of the Jews. I want you to notice the irony that is built into verse 28. Because you see, it is these Jews who had just freshly had Jesus condemned by, by both by both uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the, the one who acted as the high priest and the one who truly was the high priest. And now they have condemned him. The gospel accounts fill in the blanks and tell us that Jesus has already been beaten by his own people. He's already been slapped and, and, and accused falsely, but convicted and determined that, it, that he must die. And now they lead him as a group to the, the praetorium to where, to where Pilate resided. But I want you to notice that when they get there, these Jews will not enter into the praetorium. They will not go inside because for a Jew to go inside a house that, that where, where a Gentile lived would have rendered them ceremonially unclean. They would have been defiled by their entrance inside the praetorium. So they stay outside in the colonnade. And so they call for Pilate to come out to meet them so that they could maintain their purity. Now, as I said, this action is both ironic and it is hypocritical because while these men were meticulously avoiding any ritual defilement, they were nevertheless carrying out the vilest act of human history by delivering the Lamb of God up to be slaughtered. As one has put it, here, here were people who paid attention to the minute details of religion while their hearts were far from God. Listen, if we learn nothing else from this text today, don't miss this, what you see there in verse 28. It tells us simply that religion apart from a true relationship with Jesus Christ is worthless. You can, you can if, you, if you are hoping that your church attendance 
If you are hoping that your Bible reading or that you're giving money to the church or the fact that you were baptized at some point in the past or that you pray once in a while, if you are holding on to any of those things or all of those things as a way of, of making sure that you have a, 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 a home that resided for you in heaven, but you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you should pay very close attention to this passage because these Jews were doing the same thing. They were going through the motions and they were maintaining the rituals, but they crucified the Son of God. The same is true for us. It is not that the things that I just mentioned to you earlier are unimportant. They are absolutely important for the believer and the child of God who desires to live a life that is obedient to God's Word. But listen, any attempt on our part to honor the Lord with our lips or the way that we live our lives while our hearts remain far from Him, well, we crucify the Son of God afresh. Make no mistake, religion, apart from a true relationship with Jesus Christ, religion without faith is a very deadly thing. So the Jews, they hypocritically remain outside the praetorium which you'll notice forces Pilate to come out to them and in a relationship that is already strained now goes from bad to worse. Pilate asks him, what accusation do you bring against this man? And, and they say to him, look, if he were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. You don't need to worry about all the evidence. You just need to rubber stamp the decision that we have already made. This man deserves to die. You don't need to be concerned with the details. Pilate, of course, is not going to be the Jews' lackey. So he tells him, look, if that's the way you want to play the game, then you go take and take care of all of this and leave me out of it. But here's why they, the Jews needed Pilate. The Jews responded by reminding Pilate that they didn't have the authority to carry out the death sentence against a prisoner. Now, I should point out that, that such a detail was not always adhered to. Right? If you go back to John chapter 8, you'll see that Jesus had incensed the religious crowd around him. And they, it says there that they picked up stones to, to throw at him to kill him then. But the only reason it didn't get carried out is because Jesus' time had not yet come. It wasn't because they didn't want to kill him. It's because God and his sovereignty and his providence kept that from happening. You could also go over later to the book of Acts and you would find that Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And he was testifying to the Son of God and testifying about Jesus Christ being God's only Son. And it was because of his testimony of Jesus Christ that they took stones up and stoned Stephen. So the, the Jews, though here they are trying to follow every line of the law, they still would occasionally do things that even they said was outside of their ability to do. So what are we to make of this statement? Why, why did they take Jesus to Pilate. Why didn't they just take care of his execution on their own? Well, there's a part there that tells us that you'll see, verse 32, John sort of inserts this into the text. He says that, that they made this statement, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, so that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. If you go back to John chapter 3 and you look, go to John chapter 8 and even look in John chapter 12, three different times, Jesus talked about being lifted up. He would be lifted up, and when He was lifted up, He would draw all men unto Himself. What that lifted up means that He would be hung on a tree. 
In the Old Testament, the Bible says that anyone who was hung on a tree was considered cursed by God. Jesus Christ came to be lifted up, hung on a tree, so that the curse of God could rest upon Him that we might be free from that curse. You see, everything that's occurring here is occurring not because it was being foisted upon Jesus without His desire. No, it was, being, it was occurring because this was God's divine plan. So we've considered the Jews' accusation concerning Jesus, which really is no accusation at all. But that moves us to the next hook. The next hook is Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. Jesus has now become Pilate's responsibility. And so, and so Pilate goes into the praetorium and he begins his interrogation. And all four gospel accounts record the initial question that Pilate asked Jesus. The emphasis is actually on the word you. That really is the, the emphatic understanding. He says, you, you are the king of the Jews. Can you hear the contempt in his voice and in the, the way he questions him? But notice how quickly the interrogator becomes the interrogated. Jesus turns the question back on Pilate. He basically asks him, did you come up with that question on your own or did somebody tell you to ask me? Suddenly, Pilate's on the defensive. And you can see just how Pilate disliked the Jews by the way he responds to Jesus. Am I a Jew? You're asking me, I'm not a Jew. Your own people brought you to me. They're the ones that have leveled these charges against you. I don't get involved in the Jewishness of this argument. Just tell me, what have you done? Jesus goes on to answer Pilate's question, but he doesn't answer Pilate in the way that Pilate imagined that he would. Um, Jesus acknowledges his rule, but he clarifies that his kingdom is not a kingdom like the kingdom Pilate's thinking about. Pilate's thinking about a kingdom who, who rules over armies like he does. He's thinking about, he's thinking about an earthly kingdom with, with geographic location and boundaries and people that do what he says and, and operate in a king, in a, in a kingdom way according to earthly standards. But Jesus says that's not the way that his kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus' kingdom doesn't have influence over all of the earthly kingdoms. It just, it just means that His rule and His reign didn't originate under an earthly king. His rule and His reign came from elsewhere. Now, Pilate then continues to say, so, so you're saying you're a king then? And then Jesus says this in verse 37. And I think this gives us a really good in, in, insight into why Pilate couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. Verse 37, Jesus says, You say rightly that I am a king. And listen, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of truth hears my voice. Two important things I want to point out to you. The first is this. Jesus here clearly identifies with you and me. He says, for this point, for this reason, I was born. Jesus was born just like you and I were born. He came through the natural birth process just like every one of us came through the natural birth process. Jesus identifies with humankind here. But notice the next step, for this purpose I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world. You see what he does there, though? He's saying, listen, I didn't begin when I was born. I pre-existed. 
I was, I was in heaven. I came from another place. I have come into the world through natural childbirth. I am just like you and I can resonate with humanity in that regard, but I am wholly unlike you in that I am God. I'm the second person of the Trinity. He's the one who spoke and everything came into existence. By His own hands, He stretched the universe into its place. By His own words, when He spoke nothing that was there, all of a sudden produced something. Jesus Christ is God's only Son and He is the second person of the Trinity. He existed from eternity past, but He came to earth for a purpose. That's the first thing that we need to know. The second thing is, what is the purpose? He came for the purpose of revealing truth. Jesus came to reveal truth. What is that truth? Well, He revealed truth about God. He tells us that God is holy, sinless, undefiled, but that God is also loving and compassionate and merciful and kind. Jesus also came to reveal the truth about humanity. He tells us very clearly that mankind is sinful and is lost and is undone and is hopeless and is helpless and separated from God without hope. Jesus also declared the good news of the fact that He has come to be the way, the truth, and the life. He has come to be the way by which lost and hopeless sinners like all of us can be brought to the Heavenly Father who is holy and sinless and undefiled. He came to bridge that gap and to make a way for all of us. And it only comes through Jesus. That is the truth that Jesus Christ came to proclaim. Now, when responding to Pilate's interrogation, Jesus has just dropped this bomb on him about truth. And you get the impression that Pilate just simply doesn't comprehend it all. Maybe it's, maybe it's that Pilate doesn't believe the truth the way that Jesus describes it. Some have said that Pilate's like the modern-day, postmodern human that believes that their truth is what's true for them and your truth is what's true for you your truth back over there is what's true for you. We've all got our own little truth and we'll just live in our own little orb with our own little truth and they don't have to always cross over one another. That's not the objective truth that Jesus Christ declares. The objective truth that Jesus Christ declares is that every single person is a sinner and is lost and is dying and is going to hell apart from the salvation that He offers them. That's objective truth. That's true for every person regardless of who they are. Pilate looks at that and goes, what is truth? Now, it's obvious that Pilate wasn't interested in an answer because he doesn't hang around and let Jesus answer the question. He just leave, goes back out to, the, to the, the colonnade once more and he declares, I find no fault in him at all. Now, right there, the trial should have ended. Jesus has been acquitted by the Roman governor. But this whole thing is politically charged, and Pilate knows that the Jewish leaders can make real trouble for him. So he offers what in his mind, I believe, would be a deal that the Jews cannot refuse. Pilate is desperate to rid himself of Jesus, and so he reminds the Jews of the fact that it was customary for the Roman governor to release a prisoner to them at the time of Passover as a goodwill gesture. And so, and I believe Pilate is digging at the Jewish leaders here, he says to them, do you want me, therefore, to release to you your king of the Jews, this king of yours? His dig, of course, is that the Jewish leaders didn't recognize Jesus as their king. And so I believe Pilate's attempt to rid himself of Jesus actually backfires on him here. And so the Jews cry out all the louder, No, we don't want Jesus. Give us Barabbas. 
That leads me to the next hook that I want you to see. The next hook here is Barabbas' liberation because of Jesus. John doesn't tell us a lot about Barabbas here. He only tells us that he was a robber. If we read the other Gospels, we find out he was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He was a verified terrorist. And to have Barabbas come back out into society would have been one of the dumbest decisions, if you think about it, that the Jews could have asked for. They lived on a very thin line of being able to maintain peace and order with the Jewish way of life and the Roman government. And there was always those that would stir up trouble and create problems for them. And a lot of times with someone like as violent as Pilate, the way that he would crush such, such a, an uprising would be through violence. So the Jewish leaders particularly did not want to see that kind of thing occur. So there would be no reason why they would ask for Barabbas to be released. He was one who would stir up problems and create more trouble for the Jews. Yet the Jews cry for Barabbas to be released from prison instead of Jesus. James Montgomery Boyce has written that the world will ever choose a robber, insurrectionist, or murderer to the guiltless Christ. Why? Because Barabbas is of the world and is the world. Barabbas is one of them. Again, John doesn't give us all the details, but what we come to understand from the situation that Pilate creates and from the reader reading the other gospel accounts, Barabbas was a man who was guilty and deserving of death. He deserved to die by crucifixion. Yet he was liberated and he was set free because Jesus was condemned. One commentator puts it this way, Barabbas was the only man in the world who could say that Jesus Christ took his physical place. But here's the good news for you and for me and for all Christians. We can say that Jesus Christ took our spiritual place. In fact, you and I, you and I, if we wanted to, could take that third point that I've given you there, scratch out Barabbas' name, and write our own name in. I could put Craig Dale was liberated because of Jesus. If you're a believer this morning, you can write your name in there. If you have been saved from your sins, you deserved exactly what was coming to Barabbas and what was coming to me. You deserve death and hell, but you have been liberated because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done for you. That's good news. That's the good news of the gospel. I'd love to stay on it further, but we've got to continue. I want you to notice the next hook that we see there beginning in chapter 9, verse 1. You'll notice that the soldier's infliction of pain and humiliation upon Jesus comes into view. Their infliction of pain and humiliation. Verse 1 says that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. We should not think that it was Pilate himself that did it. It was his soldiers that he ordered to have it done. But we might ask why. Why, if he found no fault in Jesus, why would he do this? What would be the reasoning behind him if he had declared Jesus to have no fault? Well, Pilate likely believed that punishing Jesus so severely would, would satisfy the bloodlust of the Jews, that they would in some way be placated if they knew that Jesus had suffered severely. Of course, he would find out that that ploy didn't work. Nevertheless, Pilate's soldiers take Jesus and they scourged him. Scourging involved the use of a leather whip that had pieces of bone and metal wrapped in its tails. And when such a beating with such a whip occurred, a man would be left with torn flesh and muscle, literally beaten half to death. 
This was inflicted upon our Lord Jesus as he was bound to a post and his entire body exposed to the brutal punishment. When the Roman lictor, would, who was trained in the art of brutality and pain and affliction, when he would grow tired and took a break, evidently the soldiers decided that out of spite and out of mockery, they had somebody who claimed to be a king in front of them. They were going to have their fun. And so they twisted up a crown of thorns. We shouldn't think about them as the little thorns that may be on some of our rose bushes. We should really look at them as they were spikes that were closer to three, even sometimes six inches long, that they wove these things together and then they took and crushed it down onto our Lord's head. Most of y'all ain't bald like me, but let me just tell you, when you don't have hair, and you begin to push down there, you begin to feel just how hard and how painful that would have been. As he was crushed down on his head. And the blood began to flow down into his eyes, across his face. Then they took probably what was, had been a red Roman robe that had been probably an old one. Maybe, maybe the sun had caused it to fade. It looked more purple now than it did red. Let's put that upon this man who claims to be a king. In his lacerated body that's bleeding and open to the wounds that had been inflicted upon him, now they put this robe on top of it. You can only imagine the, the pain. And then they come and kneel before him. What else do you do to a king? Oh, let's kneel before him. And they kneel before him in a mocking way. But instead of rising and kissing their king, they rose and slept. Again and again and again. This, this is how they treated the Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the next hook that we come to see in the text. Notice the next point. It's the fifth one. It's Pilate's presentation of Jesus. You see, Pilate goes back out to the Jews once again, and he, and he has Jesus brought out in verse 5, and he tells and it tells us there that Jesus is wearing this crown of thorns and his purple robe, and Pilate says to him, Behold the man. As I said, perhaps Pilate thought that simply presenting the Jews with such a horrible and sorry sight as, as a swollen and bruised and bleeding figure would, would, would cause them to recognize how, how ridiculous it was to have such a man. He was so puny and so helpless. Why would you want to crucify him? Many think that that's why Pilate was doing this. D.A. Carson proposes this. He says, Pilate says, here's the man that you find so dangerous and threatening. Can you not see he is harmless and ridiculous? But here's the great irony of this scene. Standing before them is the man. Standing before them is the Word made flesh, the one who was sent to overcome the curse of sin. You remember that in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? That they were cast out of the garden, but a curse was placed not only upon them, but upon the earth itself. And the Bible tells us that from that point until now, because of that curse, that, that the earth began to produce thorns and thistles. Well, here is Jesus Christ, the one who has come to lift that curse, standing with a real reminder of those thorns crushed in upon His head. And He is the one who has come to lift that curse by His own self-sacrifice. One might have thought that that would have changed the view of the Jews, but of course it did not, and they began to cry all the louder, 
Crucify him. Crucify him. And that leads us to the sixth point that I want you to see today, and that is the Jews' final rejection of Jesus. Pilate is evidently still trying to find a way to release him. He's reluctant to have him crucified. The Jews go and say, look, we have a law. We have a law that that determines he must die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Pilate is so exasperated, he goes back into the praetorium again. He, He looks at Jesus and says, where are you from? Jesus will not answer him. He says, do you not answer me? Don't you know I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? Jesus tells him that there is no authority that can be had by him unless it had been given to him from above. Again, we see that everything that occurred happened as a result of the divine will of God the Father. Pilate is still conflicted out of sorts. They say, listen, if you let this man go, the Jews say, you are not a friend of Caesar. Whoever makes him out to be a king speaks against Caesar. Pilate once again points to him and says, behold your king. And they spew back out with him, away with him, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Ironically, I want you to know, Pilate spoke better than he knew. You see, the long-awaited Messiah, the King of the Jews, stood before His own people, yet they did not recognize Him, nor would they accept Him. And that fulfills the very verses that we read in the opening chapter of John's Gospel when He declares that Jesus Christ was the Word made flesh and that He came to His own and His own received Him not. Instead, they received, instead of receiving their Messianic King, the Jews declared their allegiance to Caesar. And as a result, we read those awful words of verse 16 that Pilate gave Jesus over to be taken away and crucified. And that brings me to my sermon in the sentence this morning and then some concluding comments that I want us to consider. My sermon in the sentence this morning is simply this. While on the surface, or although he was rejected, beaten, scourged, crowned with thorns, mercilessly mocked and unjustly crucified, Jesus Christ is still nevertheless the King of Kings who died in the place of sinners and His glory and His majesty calls us to trust in Him as Savior and Lord. I want you to know Pilate was all kinds of torn up because Jesus had been dropped in His lap. In fact, he asked all these 11 questions. Matthew records that he asked one other that John doesn't record. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, we read there that Pilate asked this question, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? I would say to you this morning in a very real sense, that is the crucial question that faces every single one of us in this room. In fact, I would rephrase the question this way and say, what then shall you do with Jesus who is called Christ? You see, if you ignore Him or you disregard Him, you just decide that you're not going to do anything with Him, I want you to know that in itself is a decision. So the question is, what are you going to do with Christ? He's been dropped in your lap this morning. You must make a choice with what you will do with Jesus. You see, the Jews did that. 
They rejected Jesus because He threatened their self-righteousness. They saw a bloodied, bludgeoned, bruised man standing in front of them and, and they understood from what, what the whole idea of a Lamb of God would be that to confess that He was their Lord meant that He was suffering in their place. But there was no way that they could make that work in their mind. Nothing I've ever done could be that bad. And so Jesus confronted them and they rejected Him and they hated Him for what He came to do. Pilate rejected Jesus not because he hated Jesus, not because he thought Jesus was guilty of anything. Pilate found no guilt in Jesus whatsoever, but he rejected Him nevertheless because he caved to the pressure of the crowds who were pushing in on him and, and Pilate feared losing his position and losing his status. And believing that he was protecting his own self-interests, Pilate rejected Jesus and he sentenced him to death. And in the process, Pilate lost his own soul. What then will you do with Jesus? And then the third group of the soldiers. The soldiers didn't hate Jesus. The soldiers didn't even weigh out whether or not following him would be a better scenario than following the way that... The soldiers simply made sport of Jesus. They were indifferent to Jesus. Jesus was just something for them to, to have fun with on what would have been otherwise probably a boring afternoon. And these hardened men were only interested in the, a good time and they were completely ambivalent about eternity. And as a result, they mocked the very one who had the power to give them eternal life. Let me ask you, what will you do with Jesus? Just as I've said, no one gets to remain neutral about him. Every single one of us will have to decide what we will do with him. You can reject him, just as the Jews and Pilate and the soldiers did, or, or you can accept Christ's death in your place for your sins. That's what happened with Barabbas. He was a robber and an insurrectionist and a rebel and a terrorist, but he was set free because Jesus went to the cross in his place. Barabbas deserved to die and nothing he did could have ever earned his pardon. In fact, he did nothing to earn his pardon. Yet Jesus died in his place. The punishment that had been rightly reserved for Barabbas was placed upon Jesus and Barabbas was set free. And in that picture, we see just what it means for sinners like you and me to be gifted with eternal life. John 3.16 tells us that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What that means is that you must accept and you must receive the pardon that Christ's death offers you. So I ask you one last time this morning, what will you do with Jesus? Will you reject Him? Or will you receive his offer of grace? J.C. Ryle points this out, and with this I will close. Jesus the innocent wore the crown of thorns so that we the guilty might wear the crown of glory. He was clothed with the robe of shame and contempt so that we might be clothed with his spotless righteousness and stand before God's throne in robes of white. That, my friend, is what Jesus Christ has done for you. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God, and it's for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. 
admitted it is not always an easy word to read or to contemplate. We want to scream at the injustice and the inhumanity that we read there, and yet we know every bit of it was absolutely necessary because that is what sin demanded. It demanded a sacrifice, and you came to sacrifice yourself in the place of a sinner just like me. And I have been liberated and set free because of you, not because of anything that I have done. So my prayer this morning is that if there's one here who does not know you in that free pardon of sin, that through your Holy Spirit you would bring conviction and that they would repent of their sins and humble themselves before you. The only, the only proper position for a sinner is humble before their Savior. We rise, we rise to kiss you and to thank you for what you've done. So I pray that you would emblazon these images upon our minds and in our consciences, upon our hearts. And let your Holy Spirit do his work in our lives. I pray these things in Christ's holy name.